Hi, welcome to podcast number 44, brought to you by Help with Parkinson's, a nonprofit corporation. Our guest today is Dr. Subramanian, movement disorder specialist from Hershey Medical Center in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And I'm your host, Warren Budvenick. Welcome to the show, Dr. Sue. Thank you again for having me here. Sure, nice to have you. Today, we're going to talk about something that, uh, at least in Pennsylvania, it's starting to get hot here. So we're going to talk about Parkinson's in the summertime. And uh, there's a lot of issues with, uh, with Parkinson's, with the regulation of body temperature, things like that. So Dr. Soup, could you uh, start us off and I'll fill in a little bit afterwards? Yes. Um, so first off, I think um, the summer brings in a change in the light cycle. Um, the days are longer. Um, the sun rises earlier and sunsets later particularly since the daylight savings times come into effect, uh, we have longer days. Um, and in the north, especially in the northeast, and also where the time changes has a significant effect on people's lives, uh, people in general tend to be more active during the summer months, and they're out more, they're physically active more, they also uh, cut the grass more, mow the lawn, they go for longer walks. Sometimes they make trips um, to other parts of the world, visit people. Um, also, this is the time when some of the youngsters in school are off and they spend more time with their parents and grandparents. And they tend to do more activities during these times. So as a result, there are some changes that may occur in a Parkinson patient's life. So for example, uh, if in the non-summer months, your typical time to get up is, um, let's say, for example, 6 a.m. in the morning, and you take your medicine at 6, 10, 2, and 6, and you go to bed around 10 p.m., and now that um, the summer is around, you might choose to wake up a little earlier uh, and may stay awake much longer, and beyond 10 o'clock, sometimes sun doesn't get quite set until 9 o'clock sometimes, and people sit around, talk, you know, and stay awake for a longer period of time until midnight or so. Now, um, the total duration of your awake time becomes extended beyond the 16 hours. You're closer to 18 or 19 hours. And then the amount of sleep that you get also gets reduced because now instead of sleeping eight hours, you're sleeping closer to five hours. Well, that's the price that you pay for Parkinson's disease because as we have discussed in our previous podcast, um, the body makes a reserve of catecholamines for the next day that includes dopamine by um, using our nighttime sleep time to prepare for the next day. So if you shortchange your day and you're sleeping less, then obviously your reserve for dopamine and other catecholamines for the next day is less. So that's an important factor to keep in mind. You may want to um, take an extra dose of medicine um, a, a fifth dose of medicine, if you're taking medicine four times a day and your day is longer, you may want to change it. And in the previous example where we were talking about waking up at five instead of six, then you may have to take medicine at five, nine, one, five, and perhaps in, especially if you're going to stay awake uh, beyond midnight. Now, of course, you don't want to do this every day uh, because if you do every day during the entire summer, three months, if you have shortened sleep time, um, you clearly will be um, 
disadvantaged because your total amount of dopamine in your day will become less. But occasional, once or twice in a month, if you had long days because you were traveling or you um, chose to stay awake because you had big family get together, whatever, then in that case, that extra dose of medication may be something that you want to do. Um, another situation um, that is very common, which uh, Warren brought, brought up, is the heat. Um, now, the good news is during the summer, uh, when your body temperature goes up, you sweat or perspire. And as a result, you're usually aware that you're sweating, as opposed to when uh, you are perspiring very silently um, in the winter months when you have the room heater on and the heat causes you to lose body water, uh, but you're not aware of it because you don't see sweat. But in, in the case of summer, you usually sweat and you can see the sweat all over your body. And um, that brings up the issue of hydration. We have talked about this before, but it's worth mentioning that when the summer temperature goes up and you're sweating a lot, you need to drink sufficient water to keep up your, um, uh, your hydration. Uh, if you get dehydrated, lack of water in your body uh, results in many complications in Parkinson's disease. One is orthostatic hypotension, your blood pressure becoming too low when you stand up and walk around. Number two, um, that you can become more constipated because your bowels are no longer soft and loses the water it requires to keep it soft. Uh, number three, uh, you drool, and the drooling causes water loss, and that makes the mouth dry. Um, your conjunctiva uh, becomes dry because your blink rate is low, and that results in dry eyes. Uh, beyond that, there can be skin, skin breakdown. There can all be, also be mucosal breakdown. And mucosal breakdown, especially in the perianal regions and oral regions, can be quite bad, and it can create um, problems. Also, dehydration puts you at risk for urinary tract infections. And when you have urinary tract infections, that puts you at risk for having hallucinations, um, dementia, or confusional states. Uh, even though it's temporary, it can be quite scary when that happens. So the point is, I think, hydrating, drinking sufficient water and not drinking dehydrating fluids, and we'll get to that in a second, uh, is an important thing to keep in mind. Summer is also a time for festivities. So people go out to eat, go to different uh, festivals, outdoor festivals, and eating food in outdoor festivals which is fun, which can be very interesting and can be a very accelerating experience, especially when you do it with your families. One thing you have to be cautioned about is to drink alcohol when you're out there. If it's dry and hot and you're um, uh, already a little bit dehydrated because you didn't drink enough water and you thought having alcoholic beverage is a way to deal with this because many young people tend to drink beer or other alcoholic beverages during the summer thinking that that's a way to hydrate. Well, it really doesn't hydrate because, uh, as many of you know, beer as well as alcohol of any kind is a mild diuretic. It actually makes you urinate more. And as a result, you actually become more dehydrated, not hydrated. Now, in Parkinson's patients, especially if you're outside and you're having uh, a pretty tough day already because you didn't drink enough water and you were up and walking a lot, and then add to that if you drink alcohol on top of it, you could be pushed over the edge, and you could become orthostatic and collapse there, which is not a fun thing to do. So make sure you're hydrated. Make sure you're rested. Make sure you use a lot of shade. Make sure you are um, 
if you're going to drink beer, make it very minimal uh, and do it just for the company's sake. Don't overuse it and get yourself into trouble. The next thing is, of course, sunlight. Sunlight is very good. Uh, and uh, it's uh, something that people look forward to. Uh, they like to get a nice suntan. So going out in the sun and getting a nice suntan during summer is a, um, a right that everybody has. And most people, uh, especially in the Northeast and in the North, in this part of the country, we do choose to go and get nice summer uh, tan, usually at the beach or a tanning booth or whatever. We have to be careful though. Uh, because there's good evidence that uh, in Parkinson's patients, uh, the risk for having melanoma is slightly higher. And this is well known. And, and a lot of research has been done about this. And uh, it's known that uh, Parkinson's is a risk factor for having melanoma. So wearing sun protection, having um, sunblock on at all times when you're going out uh, in the summer, wearing uh, glasses, eyewear and protecting protective caps and clothing uh, is important and it's important that you wear them uh, so as much as important to get a tan and, and look nice it's also important protection um, of course uh, it may also be an important um, time to remember that uh, a yearly checkup of your skin with either your family doctor or a dermatologist to make sure that you don't have any lesions that puts you at risk of melanoma is also something worthwhile doing. Uh, everybody should be doing but but Parkinson patients specifically should be doing it. And the doctor should be uh, looking under your axilla, behind your ears, in your genitalia, your nail beds, your cornea, and in your conjunctiva, every place where melanoma can form uh, needs to be visually inspected by uh, either your family doctor or your dermatologist. So it's worthwhile to have that reinforced and, and look at. And then, of course, uh, as we already talked, many of us uh, go to the beach. And uh, again, summer is beach time, spending some quality time with family, uh, working in the beach and you know doing all the beach activities is uh, another uh, important uh, pastime that we have in America. Uh, especially in the north, it's uh, very uh, common for people to go to the beach and spend time there. And uh, as we already said, uh, wearing the appropriate skin precautions to protect your skin is important. But it's also important that if you're going to get into the sea and you're going to swim, uh, make sure that um, you're wearing all your appropriate protection to, uh, so for example, uh, having some safety equipment and hand and also having people around who can actually watch you and observe you is important. And again, swimming is a form of exercise. And exercise, as we have already discussed in the past, is best done when you are in optimal shape. So please time your time, the, the time in which you actually go and swim in the ocean. Ocean is a, a tough place to swim. There are waves and you have to fight the waves. You also have to use much more energy than swimming in a regular pool. Um, it's, it's very nice and fun to be around family members, especially younger people, uh, when you are in the pool and, uh, and, and it's a safe environment there. But in the ocean, um, anything can happen. You can have a strong wave come in and you could be tossed around or you could um, just be playing along and then there may be a current or uh, something in the ocean that pulls you to one side or the other that 
to fight it and you have to use more energy. So the message is do your swimming in the ocean or get into the ocean when you're optimally medicated. Do not do this when your medication is wearing off. Do not do this when you're off and you're trembly and you're very slow. That's the worst time to get into the water. So time it, make sure that you're optimally medicated. Typically, this is about an hour and a half after you've taken your carbidopa, levodopa. And when you're feeling really good and you're able to move well, that's the time to get into the pool. Also, uh, sorry, into the ocean, not the pool, but into the ocean. Second thing, obviously, time the amount of time that you spend in the ocean as well. Uh, get out of the ocean before you're stiff and slow and your medication has worn off. Um, and you don't want to be in a situation where you're experiencing off phenomenon in the ocean while you're in the water. Uh, there would be a worse time to, to come out. Um, along those same lines, walking in the sand is also a harder task than walking on smooth floors. Um, so if you're on the beach and you're walking towards the water, obviously you have to go through some sand. And again, if you time your, um, time your walk uh, when you're actually going through the sand, this will help you move much more smoother. In many uh, beaches along the East Coast, um, closer to here in Pennsylvania, they do have handicap axes. They do have uh, wheelchairs that are uh, suitable for people with disabilities. You may want to reserve such a wheelchair if you're really planning to go for extended period to the beach. Um, and you may want to ask for such help uh, ahead of time. Uh, there are even beaches that allow you to have walking paths uh, that are made out of wood or they have put appropriate surface that will allow you to easily um, get to the edge of the water without having to struggle walking in the sand um, when you are Parkinsonian. So again, something to think about um, as you are um, thinking about the summer. Um, sort of the last point here before I take a little break and ask Warren to ask more questions is about um, uh, being careful about certain medications, especially medications that you apply uh, as a cream or as a, uh, as a patch. Uh, and Parkinson patients typically use one of the patches, which is called rivastigmine, uh, which is uh, used for memory loss. Another patch is the Nupro patch, rotigotine patch. Both of these patches, um, they're applied to skin, and if you protect it and you make sure that the patch is not slipping, you will get the adequate amount of medicine. But then if there's sweat and there's lots of other things that go on top of it, it can be a problem. It can slip off or you can uh, not deliver the drug as it's supposed to. Um, you could use um, other patch on top of it, tagaderm, or there's uh, other types of pat protective wear that you can wear on top of it that keeps it from... Uh, from slipping. So uh, those are important things to, to, to keep in mind um, in terms of uh, medicines that are applied on the skin. Uh, oral medications, besides hydration, there's no special things to think about. Uh, injectable medicines, again, there's nothing special as long as you take it correctly. Uh, and of course, DBS adjustments, um, there's no real special adjustment for the summer, except if you're having longer hours, you might need some adjustments to make sure that the longevity of its effect is there and you don't turn it off um, in the night when you're sleeping 
because you're going to use it a um, bit more than um, usual. But other, besides these, these things, um, I don't think there's any special things to do for uh, medications. But I'm going to pause here, let um, Warren ask additional questions, and then we'll come back. Well, thanks, Dr. Sub. So uh, what about the person that says, it's bad enough, I'm shaking, I'm slow, and now I think I, I may smell because of my sweating. I'm just not going to go out during the summertime. But what do you tell that person? Well, that's, uh, that's a tough one. I think um, personal hygiene is a matter of personal preference. Um, you could certainly um, use uh, all the usual things that most people do, you know, take frequent showers, um, apply deodorants, um, shave more closely to remove as much as possible anything that produces uh, odors. Um, in rare situations, um, you can also do botulinum toxin injections into the axilla. It's exce exceedingly painful. Um, it also is not reimbursed by insurance, but I've had one or two clients who absolutely want to not smell at all, and they want that uh, somewhere to be going so well that they want to get that sweat control uh, is highly effective. Botulinum toxin into the axilla uh, will block sweating for uh, five to six months in most people. However, it's exceedingly painful procedure uh, because the axilla is extremely sensitive to uh, pain receptors. Uh, even with some numbing, it's still painful. Um, and insurance doesn't pay for it, so most of the time they have to pay out of pocket to get this done. Uh, anyway, on a case-by-case -case basis, um, if there is a sufficient interest and you want to pay out of pocket, it can be done. But beyond that, um, all the over-the-counter solutions, uh, strong deodorants, uh, shaving, um, personal hygiene, taking multiple showers, that's probably the best advice I can give. Um, have you heard other things, Warren, from, from the groups that you've talked to? What about propanolol, the uh, beta blocker? It's a, it can, the excessive sweating. It can be used. Um, some people claim that they have had benefit with it. It's, again, a matter of um, benefits versus risks because uh, propanolol, as you know, Warren, does lower blood pressure and your heart rate. Uh, yes, it can be used to some degree to also modulate sweat function, though I'm not sure how effective it is. Right. And um, what about the uh, people? A lot of Parkinson's patients have skin problems normally, even without excessive weather. They have the scaliness or right. or um, a lot of slimy, like like a wetness on their on their forehead. Yes. Is, is it, does that get worse in the summertime? It can, um, and I think you bring up a very interesting point that your sebaceous glands and the sweat glands, um, they are also under neurological control, and the neurological control of these glands are also affected um, due to the autonomic dysfunction. So um, accumulation of sebum, uh, the uh, oily substance that we produce in our skin, um, can be quite problematic, uh, and that can accumulate in the forehead, it can accumulate in other glabrous skin, skin which has got a lot of these oily things uh, can become more oily. Um, again, using a lot of moisturizing uh, 
solutions, cleaning frequently using um, cleaning uh, over-the-counter cleaning material, uh, is and, and using sufficiently hydrating moisturizing solutions is um, the recommendation. Um, I am not sure of any special solutions for uh, avoiding that. But again, there may be certain things that people have tried and found to be helpful. And Warren, you have heard some things that help people? And what about uh, using the white dove soap, being that there's no perfumes in there? Would that be a logical choice for people if they have skin problems to begin with? I would think so. But again, I don't have sufficient experience to tell you whether that's, uh, that's effective. The moisturizing type of uh, soaps um, are definitely worth uh, using because that actually makes right. their skin more moist, yeah. How about the uh, excessive sweating? Is that re- related to the wearing off of the, of the um, yeah, dopamine? Yeah, it, it can be, uh, but we're talking about weather-related. So weather-related is um, bifactorial, two factors. Uh, one is that our thermoregulation, as you correctly pointed out, is mediated by the sympathetic nerves. So uh, for the listener who is not um, knowledgeable about this, uh, the idea is that our body has to keep our body temperature from getting too hot or too cold. And the way we do that is by increasing the body temperature or reducing the body temperature. And our brain has exquisite control over this using what's called the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. And unfortunately, in Parkinson's disease, the, that part of the nervous uh, work very well, where it starts failing. And when that happens, our ability to control body temperature becomes um, less effective. So when the outside temperature is warm and you're out there, you're working the pots or you're running the lawnmower or whatever, uh, then your body temperature goes up and uh, our ability to cool our body is by sweating. And so the body has to release the nerve signals to the sweat gland to sweat more. But if it doesn't do that properly, then what happens is that um, there's a loss of that thermoregulatory function, and then the body reacts to it in a different way. When the body heats up, then there are other things in the body that get released, and they act in a different way uh, than the normal way in which normal healthy people are able to sweat and reduce temperature. Instead, you ended up um, having hypermetabolic states uh, in a variety of different ways, whether it's through the liver or whether it's through glucose release or whether it's through heart pounding more or whatever. So other mechanisms come in play, uh, which are compensatory and which are trying to make up for the problem of not sweating at the adequate time. So again, what can a patient or a subject do about it is essentially um, be aware that your body could heat up fairly quickly and you don't sweat properly. So keeping your body cool, drinking sufficient water, taking sufficient breaks, using shade whenever you can, wearing protective uh, clothing or um, having a hat which will protect you from excessive heat will all be important um, to use. And also trying to do your gardening or whatever you do outside when you're optimally medicated will help a lot because that will avoid you becoming uh, in the off state and having a lot of sweating. Good. And it works out good that between 10 and 2 is the worst time to be out in the sun. And the, the pill that you're supposed to be taking 
to to do the 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 all the hard work is after two o'clock. So works out well that way. Right. Right. And uh, what what do you think about cold lower limbs? Is that significant, or is that a rare thing in the summertime? Cold lower limbs can happen during any time, but um, your point is well taken that, again, it's a thermoregulatory autonomic dysfunction that becomes more uh, rampant. Um, so, uh, again, the whole idea is that your body is able to regulate the temperature uh, from the middle of the body, like where your heart and your stomach and everything is located, and to the tip of your fingers and the tip of your toes, which is further away, uh, from your body. Everything has to be regulated. Now, the further the body is, uh, further from the center of the body uh, it is, it's harder for your body to regulate. So tips of your fingers, tips of, tips of your toes, and tip of your nose, for example, and the lower part of your ears, these are the things that get um, super cold when it's a cold day. It's because your body cannot warm it up. Similarly, in a hot day, these are the most distal most part of the body that can heat up quickly if they heat up quickly, you can't cool it that fast enough because the body's not able to regulate that area as well as um, you want to. So again, um, having enough, uh, you know, uh, cold air, cold water, um, cooling the body sufficiently, staying in a conditioned atmosphere whenever you think it's too hot. These are simple tricks that we ought to do. Um, and of course, if you already have compromised circulation, um, then uh, appropriate body positioning to avoid uh, distal cooling or distal warming up uh, is uh, critical. Okay. And the, the last thing I have, at least from what I have, is uh, traveling with Parkinson's. If you remember a few, uh, few months ago, they had, there was the Aware and Care hospitalization kit from the uh, Parkinson's yes. Foundation. It's, yes. I'm not sure if anybody ordered that, but it's uh, – www and it's a w a r e i n c a r e dot org, but I'll uh, I'll have that in the show notes. It's um it's a kit that you come and you you put all your information in case something happens to you and you get hospitalized, and the the tips on there was put travel with your medications all in the original bottles. Don't don't put them in medi planners, just in case something happens, and keep the original label with the name of the drug and your do- it has your doctor's name and get copies of your prescriptions and pack enough medicine for your whole trip and maybe a couple days extra. That's a real common issue. Like people would come in the store all the time saying, I'm here on vacation and I ran out of medication because my plane was delayed. So you want to get that done ahead of time. And um, with the time zones, you just keep taking them at the same time. Don't, don't try to you know, figure out a, a way to get, get the right time to win a change in time zone because it's just going to be one day. And just keep the same in, interval between all the doses. So if it's every four hours, just keep the same thing and just follow with a time, time change. Right. Let me, let me make sure that people understood what Warren was saying, um, just worth repeating, I think. Um, so let's say you're um, traveling coast to coast. You're going from east coast to west coast. As we know, the East Coast time versus the Pacific time, there's a three-hour difference. So, for example, if you were to get on a plane from Harrisburg or from Baltimore or New York, whatever, at, uh, let's say, 10 o'clock in the morning, and the flight actually takes, let's say, in this case, eight hours because you had a stopover somewhere, 
when you reach the destination in Pacific Coast time, and let's take an example of Los Angeles. When you reach there, the time is two o'clock in the afternoon, local time. But in reality, it's actually 5 p.m. East Coast time, right? Because uh, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles is actually uh, in New York, um, 5 p.m. because uh, there's a three hour difference. So the way you should treat the medication requirement is to simply continue in East Coast time until you go to sleep. Now, when you wake up in the morning, uh, you dial up to the Los Angeles time. So now you will start the day with the new schedule in Los Angeles time, Pacific time, if you are in Pacific time. Now, this is uh, practical advice if you're going to be staying in the Pacific time zone or whatever time zone for a few days, like about a week or two or whatever. And then when you return, you do the same thing. Um, if you started the travel in Pacific time zone at a certain time, you keep the Pacific time zone until the end of the day. You go to sleep in East Coast when you come back to East Coast. And the next day morning, go, go to the correct time zone. Um, it's usually not big a deal when you go to the East Coast, but if you go further away, so for example, you go to Hawaii, uh, which is even further away and the time zone difference is even harder. Or if you travel to Europe or you travel to Asia, then the travel time change can be pretty drastic. And again, the principle still holds true that the, the date of travel remains the same. Don't change it when you arrive on the same day until you go to sleep. And when you're done with that night's sleep and you're waking up the next day, whatever the next day is, um, then you start the new cycle. Um, I hope that's um, sufficiently clear uh, to our listeners. Yeah. Warren, there's a yeah, I was going to say, what I do, do is on a time change, right, from spring and fall, I would just tell people, just cut it in half for the first day, and then, then you get right back on target, because that's only an hour. Right. But, but plane travel is a lot different than that. You couldn't, if it's three hours, you can't change your, your four-hour dosing, so you right. have to do it the same. The same. That's right. important. People don't always think about that. And also, and also, I think it's along the same lines. Um, when you go across time zones, you're also sleep deprived. And that's very, very common. Um, because again, you have very long travel times when you get to the new time zone, especially if you're going to a time zone, which is eight or nine hours, like Europe, for example, you're inevitably, you're going to have some um, jet lag and you're going to have some sleep deprivation. Um, so Parkinson patients should be prepared that on the first day of arrival, when they're sleep deprived, they will face some difficulty because the sleep deprivation does mess up the dopamine homeostasis. So be prepared that for that first day, uh, there is going to be a little bit of um, difficulty, uh, motoric difficulty will be there. But then by the day two, then you should all be okay. Um, similarly, if you're coming back, you would have some difficulty on the first day that you're back in, back in the United States or wherever you started out with. Um, that's inevitable, uh, and we just have to be prepared for it. Okay, and uh, I just thought of something. If somebody has a really bad off period when they get to their destination because everything's different, mm-hmm. they're, they're a little nervous, well, yeah, I remember you saying once before, you don't go to the emergency room 
when that happens. Yes. Yeah, I think it's a matter of just timing. So if you can sit around and wait and you can afford to uh, get through the off period, if it's a short period of time, 45 minutes to an hour, that's probably the best thing because by the time you take your next dose, you probably won't have the off period. And of course, if you have Apokin, the injectable medicine with you, you can always use that as a short-term rescue. Or you can use Accorda, the new medicine, the, uh, the inhaled levodopa produced by Accorda, can also be used as a short-term rescue if you have off in that situation. But many patients don't have these things with them. So the one thing, if you're absolutely desperate and you want to get a quick start that you could do one-time basis is to mix um, some lime soda, something that is acidic, uh, something that has some acid in it, so lime juice, orange juice, something of that sort. Um, put one carbidopa levodopa pill to it called solution. Um, and what it does is that levodopa dissolves in acid uh, solution. So vitamin C, which is present in orange juice and lime juice, is ascorbic acid in it fairly quickly in about five minutes or so, dissolve in orange juice. And then when you drink it, it's a short fix that you can absorb um, quickly and might give you some relief in five, 10 minutes. Um, I wouldn't use it as a sort of a stopgap arrangement if you're really absolutely in a, in, a, in a bind that you need to move and you can't move and you're really stuck and you're off and you're not getting relief in five, 10 minutes, out of that 45 minutes. But if you are in a hotel, you can wait and you just wait for the next dose to kick in. I would just let go and right. just put and uh, do, do it that way. Right, good. Do you have anything to add to this uh, program, Dr. Sue? Yeah, thank you, Warren, for a great uh, program. Uh, see you uh, another time. Thank you. Thanks for coming, Dr. Sue. Bye.